0: Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to Maximizing
2: Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, how are you? Doing great, Eric. We got a uh, big topic today we're going to be discussing. We're going to be going through all the ins and outs of student loans. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you you spend a fortune on your college education, you get out, and all of a sudden those loans, you know, they go from something that kind of felt like it was like in theory while you're studying and Hmm. and graduating. And all of a sudden it's like it hits you right between the eyes and the payments kick in, and something a lot of folks are struggling with. So I wanted to, uh, I just want to start off with a, with a quick Ben Franklin quote, because he said that an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And that's certainly true. I think there's a lot of uh, headlines right now with what college tuition is costing people. And you know, some folks are starting to question, is it even worth it anymore? But you know, most of the studies still show that if you have a college degree, you'll probably out-earn somebody who only has a high school diploma. And if you have a professional degree, you probably way out-earn somebody who just has an undergrad degree. So it certainly still does pay off for the majority of people. but when you look back at tuition hikes, Eric, when, when did you graduate? A long time ago, Jim. I mean,
0: like that's a eighteen.
1: Lot. <laughs> 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 been a <Yeah>. while, right? <laughs> I, was still, I was still chiseling on tablets, you know, for turning in my homework, Jim. Yes, yeah.
2: It was a little. It was a lot cheaper back then. It was. I mean i I pulled some stats. Um, you actually get this from the College Board website. But over the last forty years, tuition has increased roughly eight hundred and forty percent. Good Lord. Which is crazy. That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. If you go and scour through the college board website, you'll find that even in the last 10 years alone, tuition has increased roughly 24%. But at the same time, um, financial aid has dropped. has right. dropped by about 5%. So what you have is you have rapidly increasing tuition. You have less people qualifying for financial aid. And then you graduate and you've got very large loans, uh, especially for the folks. There's a lot of people listening that uh, you know went to medical school. They went to law school, dental school. And you know, they graduate and they've got student loans that look like the size of, uh, of a mortgage for a pretty nice size house. So yeah. we get questions all the time about you know, what's the best way to pay these off? Um, can I refinance? Do I qualify for these loan forgiveness programs? So today's episode is dedicated to all the ins and outs of student loans. So if you invest in your knowledge of student loans, we'll go back to Ben Franklin. Um, not only is this going to save you hopefully a lot of interest, but you might save a lot of principal on those loans as well. So, just to give you a quick outline, we're going to talk about types of loans. We're going to talk about repayment options, um, things like income-based repayments, uh, federal student loan forgiveness programs. So, with that, today we have Mackenzie Ellis from GradFin on the show. She's going to be walking through um, all the different needs that people have that are with these large student loans, and and how do they deal with them. And she's going to give you a lot of great information on uh, what you should be looking at, things you need to know, and, and how to get started with uh, attacking your debt. So with that, Mackenzie, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
2: So tell us a little bit about GradFin. Because I know a lot of folks listening probably have never heard of GradFin, and tell us what you do for the company.
3: For sure. So GradFin started back in 2015 by our CEO, Chris Walters. Um, and he actually used to work at the Department of Education. So he saw how big of an issue student loans were in the world today um, and how there really wasn't a resource out there that actually walked you through all of your options. And whether that be refinancing, whether that be switching to a different federal repayment structure, whether that be loan forgiveness, that's when Gradvin was born. We are here to be basically a cross between a brokerage firm and a consulting firm with student loans. So um, while we do offer a Uh, 15 lender platform to refinance. We also do consultations where we're going over all the different types of repayment structures out there for that specific borrower, for their specific financial situation, um, and going over all those different federal options as well. Especially right now in these times, a lot of people don't even want to talk about refinancing, um, especially when there's talk of forgiveness out there with federal student loans. So that's why we're here. We do everything. It's free of charge, 30 minute consultation calls. But My role over here, I'm a manager on our business development team. So I help with scheduling. Um, I do things like this where I just go out and talk about Gradfin and how we can help, how we can save borrowers some money. Um, So we actually have a whole team of student loan experts that actually conduct these consultation calls. So um, whenever someone comes to me and they're interested, I get them set up with one of our student loan experts to go over all of their student loan options.
2: Yeah, it's a great service. I mean, we've we've leaned on you guys you know, many times over the years. Our whole team has. Uh, we start covering debt options, and you know, we cover it in concept. But then it's you know it's great to partner and collaborate with you guys to get into the details of, of what the options are. So, yeah, you know, we have a lot of people that are listening in from a variety of different backgrounds and career paths. We have people that are you know, they're dentists, or physicians. We have lawyers listening in, people that are in finance, teachers, business owners. We have a pretty wide audience. So all these folks have different loan sizes. Can you give us just a sense to start off here of of what the landscape of student loans looks like right now in this country?
3: Yeah, for sure. So like you said, tuition is increasing, financial aid is decreasing. So more and more people come out of not only undergrad, grad programs, obviously, with student loans. Um, And right now, 45 million people have student loans totaling $1.6 And that number just continues to grow, which is absolutely terrifying because it's already Astronomically huge. Um, But the one thing that kind of whenever I started working at Gradfin that really took me by surprise is that 90% of borrowers don't actually know their interest rates. And what I've learned through just like talking to borrowers, it's not only their interest rates, it's really uh, most aspects of their loan, whether it's uh, private or federal, who who their lender is. Um, what their monthly payment looks like, what their repayment structure looks like. Um, They're really, a lot of people don't actually know this information, um, which is really important information when you're you're looking at your student loan, especially the interest rate. Um, But to cut people some slack, they come out with, for just undergrad um, speaking, they come out with having between six and 12 different types of student loans by the time of graduation. And when I say different loans, it can be a mixture of federal, a mixture of private, a mixture of both, Um, whatever it may be, all of them have different interest rates. So it makes sense why people don't actually know their interest Mm -hmm. rates because they have between six and 12, and that's just for undergrad. Um, Doctors usually come out with having over 25 different loans. And obviously, um, once you uh, graduate, you can Re, uh, consolidate that into one loan. So this is speaking for people who who do, don't consolidate and just have those multiple loans. So it makes sense why a lot of people don't actually know their interest rates because they have a lot to take care of.
2: Not to mention that the size of the loans, it's like they don't even want to look at them. I mean- Oh,
3: it is crazy. Um, right now, I believe uh, dentists always take the cake. Right now they come out with having just shy of $300,000 in student loans. Um, undergrad is around $33,000. Um, and lawyers are right in the middle, usually around 150,000, but we, it obviously depends on what, what school they went to and how much funding that they did have. Um, but I believe the, who took the cake, I'm trying to remember. It was a dentist couple that actually came to us. And I believe it was just around a million dollars, um, Mm. in student loan debt, which like you said, is a, is a pretty nice house.
2: It's a nice house. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Except
2: you don't get to walk inside the house.
3: Exactly. (laughs)
2: Yeah, so we had this this program kick in where you know pe- people's payments were relieved, and then there was this talk of of loan forgiveness. Tell us where we are with some of these things with the CARES Act, and and where we stand with the with the loan forgiveness programs.
3: For sure. So I'll walk you through everything that we know right now. I wish I had more definite answers on this um, Biden one-time forgiveness. So I'll start here. So the timeline with this, a few months ago, President Biden put out um, that he's offering a one-time federal student loan relief program for certain individuals. So with that, The courts have actually issued orders blocking that student debt relief program. So right now it is tabled. It's put on hold. We have to wait for it to go through the entire court system. So as of today, they are not currently accepting applications, um, but they are seeking to overturn overturn those orders. So I wish we had a crystal ball on this timeline or um, exactly what's going to happen, but right now it is put on hold. I do want to go over what it looked like before then, um, just in case it does turn back on so people know uh, what to expect. So with this, the Department of Education is going to provide targeted debt relief to low and middle income families, and they can get up to $20,000 in debt cancellation for Pell Grant recipients and up to $10,000 in debt cancellation for non-Pell Grant recipients. So one question I get asked a ton is, what the heck is a Pell Grant? Which is a great question. I feel like it doesn't really get talked about. It's only getting talked about because uh, President Biden put it in his his plan here. So a Pell Grant is obviously not a loan, not something you have to pay back. But whenever someone went to get some financial aid, they completed FAFSA. And whenever they did that, they got loans, but they also got grants. And one of the grants being Pell Grants. Not everyone gets these, obviously. It is completely need-based. It's for low and middle-income families whenever you complete the FAFSA application. Um, so how you know if you got this, if you log in to studentaid.gov, um, this is I'm going to talk about studentaid.gov a ton today. It's going to be the Holy Grail. Um, so you'll mm-hmm. hear that a lot. Um, but if you log into studentaid.gov, um, on the left-hand side of your homepage is going to be a pie chart. Uh, it's going to be all of the different federal loans that you took out there. And then it's also going to tell you whether or not you received a Pell Grant. And if it says Pell Grant in that pie chart, obviously your recipient. If it doesn't, you did not get it. Um, I also Another question I get asked a ton is, does it matter what amount the Pell Grant was? No, it could literally be a dollar Pell Grant and you're still going to qualify for that $20,000. Obviously, if you meet the um, income threshold. So the next biggest thing for who's going to qualify is going to be income. So for individuals and also married couples who file in uh, separately, income must be less than $125,000 and for households. So married couples who file jointly, it's going to be less than $250,000 and that is going to be based off of either 2020 or 2021 taxes. Um, big kicker there, it can be either, or it doesn't have to be both. So if you qualified in 2020, let's say you made, uh um, hundred thousand dollars and you're just an individual, but in 2021, you made $200,000, you're still going to qualify because in 2020, you met that, that below $125,000. So you would still qualify, which is awesome. Um, another thing is what types of loans are going to qualify for this, uh, for this forgiveness. It's going to be federal student loans that are held by the Department of Education are eligible. Um, obviously, private student loans are not eligible because they're they're not owned by the Department of Education, so you can roll those out. Um, and then one thing, I feel like it's a, kind of a, a taboo topic because not a lot of people know about this, but... Department of Education doesn't own all of the federal student loans. Um, So there are two types of loans. They're called um, FFELP loans and Perkins loans. They actually don't make them anymore. They stopped making FFELP loans back in 2010 and Perkins loans back in 2017. So um, they're still floating around out there. So with those two types of loans, back in the day, the Department of Education actually sold portions of those off to commercial lenders. Um, so they are still federal student loans, but they're just commercially owned. So it's kind of the luck of the draw. I mean, the people who have these, um, I feel kind of bad for it. Cause it's not like they applied for anything or did anything. Um, but th- those types of loans would not qualify for this type of forgiveness because they are not owned by the department of education anymore, even though they are considered federal student loans. Um, like I said, this doesn't affect too, too many people. Um, most people we talk to, their they're FFELP loans or Perkins loans, one, not a lot of people have them. Two, most of them are held by the Department of Education, but there are a select few out there that are commercially owned. Um, how you can tell, so if you actually go on to aid.gov again um, and download your aid file, it tells you what each loan, um, where it's held. So if the, the, column, because it shows you a little table, um, if the column does not start with Department of Education, um, it's it's commercially owned. So yes, so that's a good way to check if you do have FFELP loans or Perkins loans. Just check on there and it'll let you know exactly where it's being held. Um, A lot of people don't actually even know about this because it's kind of, it hasn't come into play ever, like, uh, whether it matters or not. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people just assume it's held by the department of education when it, it's currently ah, kind of not. Um, but that's a great way to check. Like I said, this is right now it's put on hold. So we're just kind of waiting to see what happens. And like I said, there's really no timeline for this, which is kind of upsetting. Cause I feel like we've been waiting on this for
2: <laughs> pins and needles.
3: Yeah. we've been waiting on this for, for a while now. Um, But what we do know is the CARES Act. Um, So right now, payments are, um, there's a payment pause, obviously, and it was extended until the Department of Education is permitted to implement the debt relief program or the litigation is resolved. So what that means is whenever the courts make a decision, payments are going to restart 60 days later. Um, If the debt relief program is not implemented by June 30th, 2023, so this upcoming June, payments are going to resume 60 days after that. So June 30th, 2023 is kind of their, their deadline. Once that date hits, payments are going to resume 60 days after that. So let's say September 1st. Um. So latest date they're going to resume would be September. Um, but let's say they, for some reason, make a decision tomorrow. Payments are going to begin 60 days after that.
2: So people really don't know when these payments are going to kick in. I mean, they know oh, that, okay, the latest, it's going to be X date, but I mean it could be if they make a decision tomorrow 60 days to that clock starts ticking.
3: No exactly and that's why it's it's kind of just up in the air at this point. I mean people are like what am I supposed to do with my student loans? I mean we can make a plan but truly we have no idea what's going to happen with the um the one time forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously we can make a plan around that kind of make different scenarios out of it but I mean there's really no not even a timeline. Obviously they're hoping before June 30th but Come that date, if they still don't have a a plan, um, payments are going to begin. So it kind of puts everyone back into the situation that we were just in. Um, But right now, obviously, people don't have to be making payments. Interest rates are set at 0%. Um, We have seen a lot of people actually making those payments, though. Um, They are being very strategic with it. Obviously, they're leaving either $20,000 or $10,000 there just in case of that forgiveness. Um, But they're chipping away at their principal, which is always a, you know, you're going to pay it off sooner, save some money that way.
0: So
2: one thing that's on the minds of a lot of our listeners, especially the ones in the um, in the field where they work for a nonprofit, they're they're eyeballing that uh, you know, that, that federal um, you know, student loan program where they, they forgive your loans completely because you work for a nonprofit. Um, these, this time period where they aren't making any payments, does that count towards that loan forgiveness program or they need to be making payments to still qualify for that? I know you're going to spend a little bit more time on this later, but I was just curious.
3: Yeah, no, great question. So right now during this time, zero dollar payments actually count as qualifying payments toward public service loan forgiveness. And that is one of the many reasons why right now is honestly one of the best times to be in public service loan forgiveness and pursuing it. Um, Whenever I talk a little bit more about it uh, in a few minutes, I'll go into exactly all the reasons why right now is the best time to be in public service loan forgiveness. But that's definitely one of them. I mean, you're not making payments and it's counting toward uh, getting you steps closer to forgiveness. And this started... Back in March of 2020, which uh,
0: we're coming up on
3: three years here, yeah. So yeah. you almost got what 36 payments of zero dollars counted um, to that 120. So it's it's a great situation to be in for them,
2: for sure. So before we get into how do you manage student loans and you know what are your options to refinance or restructure or all those things, um, you know, what you mentioned somewhere between 12 and as many as maybe 25 different loans. I think it'd be helpful if you can just give the audience an overview of the different types of student loans that are out there, because that's going to really impact what they're eligible for and what they're not eligible for, correct?
3: Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's just good to know, you know, <laughs> good to know what types of loans you have. So I'll go over the different types of student loans out there. Um, there's really not too many out there right now. There used to be a ton. Um, like I said, there used to be FFELP loans, Perkins loans, different loans like that. They stopped making them. Today, they really boil down to being obviously private student loans versus federal student loans. I'm gonna start with federal. So on the federal side, there are four types of student loans. If you were to go to studentaid.gov and apply for a student loan, you'd be given four options. So I'm gonna first start off with subsidized student loans. So these are arguably one of the best student loans to get, and I'll give you the reason why. So you can only get these for undergrad, though, and not everyone qualifies for them. They are need-based. So after you complete the FAFSA application, they let you know if you're a low or middle-class family, um, how much subsidized loans you can get. So why they're so great, there's no interest accruing until after a grace period. So six months post-graduation, that's why these loans are, they are capped. So it's not like you're going to get your whole tuition covered by a subsidized loan, um, but they are amazing to have. And they typically do have a a lower interest rate to begin with, which is great as well. Next is going to be unsubsidized. Um, Same exact interest rate as a subsidized, but the only difference here is that the interest does accrue during school. You can also get this for undergrad and also grad school. So that's another difference between subsidized. So you can use this on grad school and everyone qualifies for the unsubsidized loan. So the eligibility is not based on financial need. Everyone's going to get this. Like I said, subsidized and unsubsidized are both capped um, depending on the year, depending on the school, um, depending on the financial need. So it depends uh, kind of your situation exactly how much you're going to get there. But typically those interest rates are lower, which is great. Next is going to be Parent Plus. This is going to be exactly how the name sounds. So this one's not too tricky. Um, it is in the parent's name, not the child. And it is not need-based. Um, you can actually get as much of it as you need to cover that tuition. The only kicker here, there is an origination fee, which does lead to higher interest rates. And when I say higher interest rates, um, it's almost double unsubsidized. Wow. And, subsidized, yeah. um, and obviously, interest rates are going up. So Parent Plus is definitely one of the higher interest rate loans. But It's a federal student loan, so it allows you a ton of flexibility. Um, Last one is going to be Grad Plus, very similar to Parent Plus, but it is just for grad school loans only. Um, This actually, similar to Parent Plus, you can actually take out um, as much of it as you need. So maybe you go for the subsidized or unsubsidized loans, but like I said, those are capped. You can cover the remaining balance with your Parent Plus or Grad Plus loan. Like I said, that's another one that's going to have that origination fee, which leads to a higher interest rate. Um, So those are federal student loans. Next, I'm going to talk about private. Private student loan is really just that. It is a private student loan. Um, There's really not much flexibility with it. Um, There's very restricted repayment options. And when I say restricted, I mean there's one. It's you're making the correct payment at the correct time each month, there is no wiggle room from that. With a private student loan, though, you can get it for undergrad, you can get it for grad school, you can get it for uh, if you're a pilot, like a pilot school, tech school, beauty school, really any um, schooling post high school, you can get a private student loan for. These typically have, I would say, low interest rates, um, but it's it's not as low as subsidized and unsubsidized, but it's not as high parent plus and grad plus, so it's it fits right in the middle there. Um, but why a lot of people kind of steer clear whenever they're originating student loans, why they steer clear of a private student loan is because of those restricted payment options. And with private student loans, there's really no option for forgiveness. So um, for someone who maybe they're going into the public sector um, or you know any uh, career path that might offer some loan forgiveness there, those are the type of people that are like, yeah, parent plus loan and grad plus loan are um, high interest rate. but who knows? Maybe down the line I'll get those forgiven. So we're just going to stick to the federal system, um, whereas private might be a little bit lower of an in interest rate, but you're you're kind of stuck with it there.
2: Yeah, is it safe to say that like a, like a private student loan almost feels more like a mortgage, where it's like, hey, here's your rate, here's your repayment time period, and that's it.
3: Exactly. You can't
2: really change it like in the middle of the mortgage and go, you know what, I decided that I don't want to go this path. The only option is to really refinance. Is that the fair statement?
3: Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, The only difference between obviously student loans and and mortgages are whenever you refinance it, there's no closing costs, no transfer fees, no origination fees, nothing like that. That's the only difference. Um, But exactly like you said really the only option with a private student loan is to refinance it. That's why it makes it pretty simple. <laughs> Whenever some t- someone right. comes to us with a private student loan, we're really just looking at that interest rate. If we know we can beat it, let's look to refinance. If we can't, um, yep we'll we'll take a look at it in a few months to see where interest rates are then That's right. um but with federal student loans one other thing i want to add is they're always fixed which is great um they're not variable ever um, because whenever you take out a student loan it's always going to be fixed for that life of the loan so they're not tricky at all with private they can be either variable or fixed just like mortgages um so at Gradfin, we only offer fixed. We think variable rates are pretty tricky. They can start at two percent and then slide to twelve percent without the borrower even knowing. Um, so we only offer fixed over here. But for federal, they'll always be fixed.
2: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I mean, interest rate hikes have been all over the news. I mean, everything from car loans to mortgages to student loans. I mean, everything seems to be going up rapidly. I mean, it's crazy to think where we were even a year ago. How how has the interest rate hikes impacted federal student loans? Like, what are rates looking like now? How do they work? Can you give us a little insight on that?
3: Yeah, of course. So, interest rates on the federal side vary depending on the loan type and the first disbursement date. So, um, federal student loans actually change every July 1st. So, the rates that I'm going to give you today um, are going to be good until June 30th. Come July 1st, they're going to get a new set of rates. Um, So, today, for direct subsidized and unsubsidized for undergrad, just for undergrad, if you were to go to studentaid.gov and take out some loans, you would see 5.22%. Um, for unsubsidized, for grad school, you would see 6.78%. And for those two plus loans, Parent Plus and Grad Plus, you would see 8.53%. Um, and when I tell you what they were last year, they they all took, I'd say, like a 2% jump up Um which is, which is pretty pretty high when I look at like the trends um, from the years past. So um, we are really interested to see what they're going to do July 1st, um, but they will probably take another little jump up. Hopefully not as much as last year, but uh, probably a decent bit of a jump.
2: Right. What, um, what are the interest rates based off
3: of? Um, they are actually based on the U.S. Treasury Department's May auction of the 10-year notes.
2: So if people are keeping their eye on that, that's going to give them some indication as to what these what these rates could adjust to.
3: Exactly. And this is also another reason why uh, people who come out with six to 12 different loans don't actually know their interest rate because they do change every year. So, it's all over the place, uh, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: Okay. So let's talk about repayment plans a little bit, because I think sometimes folks just think that they have just one option. It's like, this is the payment and that's it. But there's actually a lot of different ways to, to manage these loans. Can you give us an idea of what the different payment programs look like?
3: Of course. So I do want to talk about a few. So on the federal side, there's actually 187 different federal repayment structures out there, which is absolutely insane. It's about 180 um, more
2: than I thought you were going to say.
3: Yes, so, which is so funny because I remember when I graduated from college. Um, like most students, I was probably really naive to what student loans even look like. I thought there were probably three, maybe. So to learn there's 187 is absolutely bonkers to me. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hit us with the 187 today. Uh, maybe maybe next podcast. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna first start off with the the three most basic and the three most easy to understand. And this is honestly the three that we see most graduates come to us and what they're in. Um, So the first one, and like I said, these are all for federal. Private is really just that, private. Um, So for the federal repayment structures, we're gonna start with the standard repayment plan. Everyone is eligible for this plan and how payments are, they are fixed for the amount that ensures your loan is paid off within 10 years. With this one, you usually pay less over time than other plans because it's 10 years, um, which is actually actually a relatively shorter term in the student loan world. Um, so with this one... Most people are actually in this plan. Um, If someone is like, I actually don't know what plan I'm in, odds are they're in the standard repayment plan. Because once you graduate from college, if you don't specifically go to your lender and tell them, hey, I want to be an X plan when I graduate, they automatically default you to the standard repayment plan. Um, So that's why most people are actually in this plan. It's just because they were defaulted to this plan. Um, But like I said, you're going to pay less over time. So for some people, it does make sense. Um, Next is going to be the graduated repayment plan. Everyone's still going to be eligible for this plan, um, but the payments are actually a little bit different. So payments are lower at first and then they increase. It's usually about every two years and they're in an amount that's going to ensure their loans are paid off within that 10 year mark. Um, So it's still a 10 year term, but your basically your payments are low at first and they kind of continue to grow until we hit that 10 years. Um, why people like this one a lot is because whenever they graduate, if they don't have a job set up or if they're just new in their career, obviously they're not going to be making a ton and know they're going to be making more down the road. A lot of people that pick this plan just for, for a safety net in the beginning. Um, but I will say when we see this plan, usually what the payments are at the, the end of the, uh, 10-year marker toward the middle, toward the end, they are a pretty big jump. Um, but the good news about federal repayment structures are you can switch in and out of any of them without any consequences, which is great. So if a graduated repayment plan maybe makes sense for you at the beginning, um, right when you graduate, awesome, let's do it. And then if you want to switch to a different repayment strategy, maybe that makes more sense for you whenever your income increases, we can take a look at that. Um, but that one's the graduated. Go ahead. Yeah, Any that's questions? important.
2: I just want to jump in real quick because yeah. that's um, you know there's certain career paths. I think of like somebody who's an orthopedic surgeon. Like we work with a number of them when they come out of their residency, their fellowship, and their income is a nice salary. It's a much big and bigger improvement over where they were as a resident or a fellow, um, but they haven't hit their peak earnings yet. So they can they can start off with their with their salary, maybe do that graduated repayment program. But if they know that their income is going to be substantially higher in you know seven eight years, that might be okay. But that's no guarantee. So I guess if they if they start to get into these higher payments and go, you know, I just can't swing it. You're saying they can switch back to the standard repayment program?
3: Exactly. Yeah. So with all of these um it's really nice that they can switch in between all of them just with different life situations, maybe they get married, um so or maybe they get a bonus or anything like that. So we can switch in and out of all of them. And at Gradfin, um with our system, we're able to take a look at exactly what each one would look like, um even adding in some some income down the road as well. So we'll make sure they're they're in the right Plan, given their uh, income and situation as well
2: so what about we always look at both sides of the coin here so a lot of people are worried about the balance that they owe they're worried about the interest they're going to pay but the other side of this is just managing your cash flow and what are your opportunity costs because it's not just about paying off the student loans there's you know saving for the future for other things as well so what about options for lowering the payments to, to just provide more cash flow uh, for other planning opportunities What about extended repayment programs? Like, What do those look like?
3: Yeah. So there's one extended repayment program out there. This is actually not going to be for everyone. You have to have more than $30,000 in outstanding federal student loans. Payments can either be fixed or graduated. So either the same amount, standard amount for X amount of time, or the graduated where they start off lower and Increase every two years. So you can pick between those two. And it ensures your loans are paid off within 25 years. So this is going to be that 25 year term. So extends it out a lot more than that 10 years, which is nice because um, with your your payments are going to be substantially cheaper um, just because we're we're extending that term out. So it'll open up some cash flow for investments or whatever else they want to do. But obviously you're going to pay more than that 10-year standard plan. But that's just because we're we're extending it out to that 25-year mark.
2: Right. And you have to, I guess, figure out, okay, if I'm going to take that difference and invest it, like what's the realistic rate of return? And is that, you know, is that apples to apples? I mean, if you have a loan at 12%, it's like, yeah, investing that difference at 12% after taxes and fees, you're probably not going to beat that. So that person might want to pay those loans off quicker. But if the wrong loan rates are much lower, then, you know, that might be, uh, might be a better way to go. So I guess you have to get to look at these things on a
3: individual basis. Exactly. And that's why our our consultation calls, that's why they're they're so important because each person's situation is so different. Each person's goals are so different where we have people that come to us and they say, I want to aggressively pay this off so that I save the most amount of money, Um, which means we're just going to pick a short-term lowest interest rate option perfect. Um, where there's other people that say, I just am looking for a lower monthly payment where obviously we're just going to extend that term out. So everyone's situation is so different in their goals. And that's why it's always so important to keep the the financial advisor in the loop as well, because you know, their goals pretty well is also.
2: Right. What about the income driven plans? Because we we get this question a lot. Uh, people, especially as they're getting close to graduation, they're hearing all these different terms and these different ways to, to manage their loans and income driven repayments are, are always a hot topic. Walk us through how these work.
3: For sure. So I went over the three most basic um, with the standard extended and graduated. Those are the three most basic. And now I'm going to really scrape the surface of income driven, which is honestly one of the most complex topics um, for federal repayment options. So there are four major IDR plans out there. There are pay as you earn, revised pay-as-you-earn, income-based repayment, and income-contingent repayment. And I'm not going to get too too deep in the weeds here because they are very complex. So each one has their own set of rules and regulations. So not everyone can qualify for each one, and um, their monthly calculation is going to be a little bit different for each one. Um, So there's a lot of things to consider here. So IDR plans allow borrowers to pay a reduced monthly payment, which is determined by calculation based on the borrower's gross income. It's based on the family size. It can be based on um, if they're married and file their taxes jointly um, or individually. It's also based on the poverty rate for their state that they're in. Um, there's a lot, and each one actually has a different calculation for how the payment um, is calculated in the end. So there's a lot that goes into this. Each plan has components that should be strongly considered prior to enrolling in these plans, um, such as term. Some of them have a 20-year term. Some have a 25-year term, monthly payment calculation and tax filing, Um, just because we see people who come to us um, as an individual and then they get married and they need to switch plans because that plan is kind of looking at the household federal student loan um, debt and not just their individual anymore. So their payment jumps up and they're like, what happened? Um, So that's always something really important to take into consideration whenever you're getting into an IDR plan. Um, Two reasons why people really like IDR plans. First one is very similar to what I was talking about before. Maybe they're right out of college. They don't have a job. Um, If you actually go out of college and don't make money uh, for the first year, obviously your payments are going to be zero dollars. Um, which really isn't helping the cause, but it's a good plan to go on if you you don't have any income coming in that year. Uh, Next is going to be a type of loan forgiveness event. So with IDR plans, there's two types of loan forgiveness events that come with it. The first one is going to be IDR long-term forgiveness. With this, um, it's going to be you're on any of those four plans and you pay for either 20 or 25 years, depending on which one you're on. And after that 20 or 25 years, your loans are forgiven at the end. The, or whatever is left, I should say. Um, the big kicker there is it is a taxable event. So you're going to, that's going to be considered taxable income for that year. You're going to owe a lump sum. So it's something that you really, really, really have to plan on. Um, And at GradFin, we're always happy to let you know um, which one's best for you and also what what your payments are going to look like and also what that expected lump sum is going to look like as well. Um, So that's one thing to take into consideration, Um, but that does honestly, it makes sense for for some people out there IDR forgiveness versus, let's say, public service loan forgiveness just because of their their debt amount. So the next one with IDR is going to be public service loan forgiveness, which uh, is a whole topic in itself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the
2: the best for last. You know, it's money to pay off your loans by saving interest and you know just. Finding a more efficient way to pay them off. It's even better when you use somebody else's money to pay off your loans. So
3: Exactly.
2: So yeah, so this is, I know something our audience is definitely interested in in hearing more about.
3: Good. So public service loan forgiveness um, is one of GradFin's favorite programs, um, just because there's so many people that can actually benefit from it that actually don't know um, that they qualify. So public service loan forgiveness is a very specific federal program where not everyone qualifies. You have to have um, a few things. First one is you have to have a qualifying employer. What that is, you have to be, work for a nonprofit organization. That's all of your 501c3s, any level of the government. We see a lot of public hospital workers and public school workers um, get qualified that way. A lot of people come to us and they're like, "We, I have no clue if my employer is a nonprofit or not, or my hospital or whatever it may be. Truthfully, um, obviously, we have, a, we have a whole list of... Um, on our end, but if they want to kind of do some homework on on their end, if they just want to see if you Google is uh, UPMC, a five hundred one c three hospital, their web page comes up, and it's the first thing that shows up is we're a nonprofit five hundred one c three hospital. Um, so that's just some homework they can do on there. And if they're like, I wonder if I qualify, um, but obviously they can ask us as well. So a qualifying employer, they have to have federal student loans, um, they have to be on an IDR plan, so one of the four that we mentioned prior. And then they have to make 120 qualifying payments. So that's 10 years worth of payments. So a lot shorter than the IDR long-term forgiveness and whatever is left over after that 10 years is forgiven. And here's the big kicker here. It is tax-free. And that's why this program is so amazing is because it is a tax-free event. Basically, um, Whatever's left gets wiped away, which sounds way too good to be true. Um so let
2: you bring this up? we We had a client recently, this is just a couple of weeks ago that uh, she she got the notification that her loans were forgiven, and she's like, this can't be real. And she logs into her website and she sees zero balances across the board. And I mean, she had three hundred thousand dollars of loans just gone. I mean, she was almost like in tears. so uh it is real. It, it is definitely real. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, they're like, is our tax hit, something like that? But I, I think a lot of people just figure, well, hey, I qualify for this program, so this is going to be easy. That's not really the case, though. Yeah. How many people who apply for the public service loan forgiveness um, get their applications rejected?
3: Yeah, great question. So like I said, this looks amazing on paper. Um, but the government wasn't going to make this easy. Um, so actually 97% of borrowers get rejected at the time of forgiveness. And that's really just because there's a lot of homework that goes into this. There's a lot of paperwork that needs to be filled out. You're on that IDR plan, which actually it does come with some, um, some upkeep. So each year you have to recertify your income because that's how your payments are drawn off of. Um, but there's just a ton of paperwork. And if you do something wrong, um, or if a payment's counted incorrectly, they're going to send uh, basically the paperwork back to you and say fix it or figure it out. Um, and let's say you miss that deadline, your payments aren't going to be counted for um, that month or that year, or whenever you're you're sending in that paperwork for. So that's why a lot of people see the rejection rate and they're like, "I'm I'm going to steer clear of this program," even though it's such an amazing program. So unfortunately, is ninety seven percent. I. Believe we've for the last three years, it's been at 97%. So nothing's really helped to too much, Um, even though uh, public service loan forgiveness, I feel like got brought to a lot of people's attention um, and how kind of hard it is to actually stay in compliance with it. But uh, like I said, if you if you make sure you're keeping all your ducks in a row um, and really being on top of everything, you're, you're going to be fine. And it's an amazing program. And we, we truly believe a lot of people should take advantage of this, especially right now. Um, so I, I will go into kind of the the uh, updates with the uh, CARES Act and how it takes into public service loan forgiveness um, area.
2: Yeah, for sure. Because I, I think, again, it's a great program. People want to qualify for it, but it's like, are you really an expert in, in like managing the details of this stuff? you know, how, how do you make sure you, you stay on track? So yeah, if you can give us a CARES Act update and how do you stay in compliance with this? I think that'd be, that'd be great as we, for, as we wrap up.
3: For sure. So I'm going to first start off with just some of the, the CARES Act updates that actually go into public service loan forgiveness and why I've been saying right now is the absolute best time to be in public service loan forgiveness. So they actually put out, it's called a one-time adjustment and it's going to be in summer 2023. So coming up and what it's going to do is, um, So I previously said how you have to be in an IDR plan. Okay, so so with this one-time adjustment, they basically throw that out the door, which is amazing because that's going to let so many more payments count toward that 120 qualifying payments uh, because one of the top reasons for rejection is they're not in an IDR plan where they're applying for public service loan forgiveness, but they're in that standard plan um, and they get rejected and it's because they're not in an IDR plan. So with this one-time adjustment, they go back and they're going to retroactively count any payments that would have previously qualified regardless of the IDR plan or if they're in the standard plan, whatever it may be, they're going to get those payments counted. So an example I like to give is let's say a surgeon has worked for their, their not-for-profit hospital for eight years. Come summer 2023, um, they're going to get those. And let's say they weren't in public service loan forgiveness previously. They're going to get those eight years worth of payments, uh, even though they're, they weren't in public service loan forgiveness counted. So they will only come summer 2023 only have two years left of public service loan forgiveness, which is amazing. This is going to impact so many people. Um, and they actually don't even have to do anything for it. So, uh, the loan servicer is actually going to to take advantage of this, but obviously come summer, 2023, they're going to have to reapply and, uh, make sure they get into an IDR plan. So there is a lot of homework after that, but they're going to get so close to forgiveness, especially for people that have been with their nonprofit employer for X amount of years already.
2: Excellent. So we've covered a ton of ground here today. Um, you know, one of the things I just want to highlight is that when we're going through our planning process with our clients and we're looking at debt. We're trying to figure out a strategy and we're looking for ways to lower rates, free up cash flow. Uh, how do we get rid of debt altogether and then keep it that way? Uh, you know, We turn a graph in quite a bit and uh, you know, collaborate with you guys. Can so you just give the audience as we wrap up here a sense of how we collaborate, you know, what you guys do, how do people get started, what does, what does the process look like?
3: Yeah, of course. So, If someone wants to just chat about their student loans, obviously they can reach out to you, they can reach out to me and we'll help them get a a consultation call set up. So uh, once they reach out, we'll ask the best day and time. We actually hold consultation calls morning, afternoon, evening, and on Saturday. So really we can work with any different type of schedule. Um, So we'll get that scheduled from there. We're just gonna need your student loan details prior just so we can plug them into our system and make sure we're making the most use of that 30 minute time. Um, Whenever we do that consultation call, we will go over, all the different options available to you. So obviously, like I said, with private student loans, we're looking at the interest rates, looking to refinance with federal student loans. We're going to make sure we're giving you the best opportunity. Um, We'll go over forgiveness. We'll go over all those um, different federal repayment structures um, to just make sure you're in the correct one for your situation, your goals right now at this time. Um, Obviously, we're going to be very strategic with this. Um, So let's say you have a really high interest rate um, and but you will qualify for that $10,000 or $20,000 in forgiveness, um, but you want to take advantage of just getting a lower interest rate. We can set aside that ten dollars or $20,000, keep it federal, and then refinance the rest to lock you into a lower interest rate. So we're really customizable with whatever um, you want to do and your goals and how you're going to save the most money. Um, and like I said, 30-minute calls, free of charge. Um, feel free to reach out to, to Jim or I, and we'll get you set up with one.
2: Excellent. So Mackenzie, if someone wants to reach out to you directly, what's the best way to reach you?
3: Yeah. So you can either email me, um, I'll spell my name. It's M-A-C-K-E-N-S-I-E dot E-L-L-I-S at dot com, Or you can call me 267-990-8581 and I will help you get set up.
2: Excellent. Mackenzie, this was awesome, and there was so much detail here. I think the audience is going to really appreciate it. Not the fact that they they just learned a lot, but also now they have a resource to turn to to, to get some answers on these things. So thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And, uh, Eric, let me turn it back over to you to wrap us up.
1: I'm telling you what, this was fantastic, and I know the audience is going to appreciate a rewind button. Holy cow, so much information. <laughs> a lot of in good here. info. Right? Yeah. So, uh, audience, uh, reach out to Mackenzie. Reach out to Jim. Uh, Jim, if they want to reach out to you directly to talk about
2: how this, this fits in their overall plan, uh, what's the best way to get hold of you? You can reach out to us uh, by emailing us at info at or you can go to our website, www.mcgovernwealth.com. And, uh, there's a contact us button on there and enter your info and tell us you listen to the show and you need some help. We'll, we'll right. get connected and give you some guidance.
1: Perfect. Again, Mackenzie, thank you so much. And Jim, thank you. Of course, our last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number 0F67329 AR Insurance License Number 7119103 California Insurance License Number 0F67329 Arkansas Insurance License Number seven one one nine one zero three. 103.
2: Compliance Number 2023 148803 expires December 2025.